This is it, Minnesota muskie anglers. This is finally your week to uh, talk about fishing in the opener. This is another episode of Backlash Podcast. And we have a guest today, Phil Bowerly, out of Minnesota, Leech Lake, Minnesota, specifically. And he must be super important because Carrie's here today. Carrie, you want to say hi? It's been, uh, I don't know, how long since your fan club has had you on? It actually hasn't been that long, but over the course of the last nine months, your attendance has been poor, to say the least. I can't help it. You guys podcast at weird times, and I'm either uh, ready to turn into a pumpkin, or I don't have enough time to take an hour out of the day to podcast. So I apologize, everyone. I did get kind of caught up today, so I could sit in today. Nice. She says that it takes an hour, Brad. It's way longer than an hour. Yeah, that's that's why I don't have the time to sit and do it. Most <laughs> days. Yeah, you would think, you know, when the, when these come out, what are they? You know, forty five to an hour and a half. But the recording side of it is a little bit longer than that, generally. Yeah, typically. Well, there's some time in the beginning that we talk things over to find out the plan, and then once we're done, it's not like we just hang up and we're done for the day. So we always got to talk about, all right, what about next week? And what about this day? And we should talk about this guest and whatever. Yeah, that's part of the gig, Jeff. I know you went fishing earlier this week. How was that? Terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was terrible. I've had worse trips, but it was, it was tougher. I mean, it was, it was, uh, we got a smaller fish on a baby squircle. We had another one, a nicer fish, want to eat one, didn't eat it. And we moved, I didn't personally move any, we moved a couple other ones and it's been rough. Of course, in, you know, typical TRO filming fashion, the next day we were with Jeff Hansen, Madison Muskie Guide Service, and he puts a nice, you know, 40 incher in the net within the first, I don't know, hour of the day. I think I might've even gotten text before I woke up because he starts at the crack of dawn. You know, when I go down to fish with him, I got to wake up at 2.30 in the morning so I can make it there by five because he likes to start before it gets, before it gets light out. So... But uh, some 10-year-old kid got a, a nice 40-inch muskie on a Suic Nightwalker. So that was cool. So we got, so he got that. As far as our filming adventure goes, it was, eh, I don't know, mildly okay. It was so good, Brad. I didn't even look at the footage yet. So that should tell you something. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's one of the things when you're doing that filming. It's always exciting at the end of the day to sit down and look at it if there's success. If there isn't success, yeah, you can look at it next month. <laughs> <laughs> There, like I said, it wasn't a it wasn't a total wash. We've had worse trips than that. I know Jeff is obviously disappointed. He always wants to get a bunch, and like weather wise, aside from the wind, I thought it was going to line up that it was going to actually be okay. We were a little bit off that cold front because we had a slight cold front. Um, I think it was like Sunday. Yeah, we actually had a pretty major cold front. It went from like eighty five to like fifty from Saturday to Sunday, and then we were you know a little bit past that cold front. Uh, humidity was good cloud in the sky overcast slightly you know a little bit of drizzle so i mean it seemed like it was going to line up but you know it is brad i mean you think that things are going to line up and then muskies do musky things and they show you that they're still in charge yeah absolutely that's part of our gig but uh if it was easy everybody would be doing it so it's okay yep so a couple things brad i had a listener um, mentioned to me that we also missed an episode with amy keys so that was another female episode that we missed out on, Brad. I don't I don't think we should go down this route anymore about saying like, hey, I don't know if we've ever had this because we failed epically in this one. Yeah, it, it's a struggle, Jeff. I mean, it all blends together. It's pretty amazing. Um, 
in our busy schedules, <laughs> we gap on a few things, that's for sure. But yeah, we've had quite a few actually female guests that uh, previous to Linda Rice. So we, we, uh, we missed the boat there. <laughs> Absolutely. So once again, we'll apologize to Amy for missing out on her episode. We did not mean to exclude her either. Hopefully, I don't get any messages this week about ones that we forgot. I, like I said, either. How many people did you guys forget? All of them. (laughs) (laughs) All of them. You know, between Brad and I, neither one of us could come up with, uh, we couldn't come up with a female guest that we had. And we've had apparently at least three full episodes with females prior prior to the Linda Rice episode. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a failure. See, Carrie, this is what happens when you're not around to keep us in line. You know, I was going to say, I'm going to have to, Work a little harder, smarter, something, so I can make time for you guys. Yeah, I would. I mean, the whole <laughs> the whole production has gone downhill since. <laughs> I don't believe that, but okay. Although we haven't lost any sponsors without you around, they're still around. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Speaking of sponsors, Brad, we should probably pay the bills with a little bit. So, uh, you know, we don't have any of those, but we do have two companies that we like to represent. We like to represent Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And you could also find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, we also have our own podcast, the TRO Musky Fishing Podcast. If you want to check that out, we do talk to mostly manufacturers on that one. I actually put out two new episodes recently. I talked to uh, John Betty with Stealth Tackle, and I talked to Bill Schwartz from Slammer Tackle, so you can check that out. Wherever you found this podcast, you should be able to find that one. And the other company that we represent is Musky Mayhem Tackle, and if you want to find gear for your next musky fishing adventure, you can visit muskymayhemtackle.com. And I'm going to put Carrie on the spot. Carrie, you got to talk about Musky Mayhem Tackle and how you are the originator of the big-bladed flashaboo non-bucktail. Wow, you kind of kind of just said it all right there, Jeff. Well, I've heard Brad talk about it. I don't know what is this 115 times. So you know, that's pretty. Uh, yeah, I'm stupid. I'm stupid, but after 115 times, I can pick this up. Yeah, we are we are the original big bladed flash blue bucktail manufacturer. We started in 2005. Technically, probably in 2003, I was playing with it, but we do manufacture the original big bladed flash boob bucktails. What else do you want me to say? Where do, where can they find you? Oh, <laughs> you can find them at uh, muskymamtackle.com or any of your local retailers. Teamrhinooutdoors.com and teamrhinooutdoors.com <laughs> Shameless plug, sorry. Actually, I'm not, I'm not that sorry. This is all I get out of this podcast is I get to shamelessly plug things a few times. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, Carrie's just realizing that when you get put on the spot, like we did about the female anglers that we've had on the show, um, sometimes you just kind of fall apart and, and forget. That's right. Um, I do that all the time. <laughs> you can check us out at muskymayhemtackle.com, but you can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook as well as YouTube. So love to hear reports and see pictures of people catching fish on our products, and we would love to see them. So send them our way. You have to cut me a little slack, Jeff. I'm rusty at this. Oh, I'm going to cut you a little slack. Yeah, that's fine. Your fan club will still be happy that you're back, so that's cool. I'm excited for that. Right. I, I Speaking of fan club, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily my fan club, but the Backlash Podcast fan club. Jeff and I have kicked around reordering 
shirts and or t-shirts and sweatshirts. We just want to feel out if there's any interest in that, if we should reorder them, if you guys are looking for them. So if you are interested in that, shoot us a message via Facebook, Instagram, email, emails, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. Right, Jeff? It is. We will eventually reply to your email, probably, assuming that one of us sees it because that's a terrible spot for us to get emails. But occasionally you get lucky. I think I had a uh, father-son combination email me on Backlash Podcast the other day, and I actually replied to him within like five minutes. So I happened to see it while I was you know, available and replied instantly. Yeah, so just send us a message if it's something you guys think you'd be interested in. So, Brad and Kerry, what do you think is going to happen for the Minnesota Muskie opener this weekend? Well, I definitely think that we're two weeks ahead of schedule as far as uh, the water camps and weed growth and everything else. I don't know. I'm pretty excited. You know, the last couple of years, the first week or two really haven't been real strong for me on the open water trolling. But uh, I have a feeling this year could be different. I think it's muskie fishing and you never know until you try it. Way to really put it out there, Carrie. I'm pretty glad that you you gave us a good, solid answer. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> you can't. There's no predicting what they're gonna do at any given time. You could light them up opening day. You could get skunked till July first. I hope it's I don't muskie. get skunked till July first. That'd be like last year. <laughs> <laughs> but you you should be used to it. I'm I'm pretty used to it. Trust me, it's been a struggle. It's it's always a, a new challenge every year, right? I mean, you start out and you start figuring out some of the um, the idiosyncrasies that muskies throw at us, and it's just a matter of time, and, and you're going to start putting fish in the boat. I, I will say the last three, four years, um, we've at least caught fish on opening day. So I don't take it real serious opening day, and the reason I don't is there's a ton of traffic usually, uh, a lot of people out fishing muskies. And so I usually kind of start going out, usually in the afternoon, and then I start getting serious on Sunday. <laughs> so we'll see. But I am going to fish Saturday all day, and I'm planning on doing the open water trolling thing. I believe Matt Secret's going to be up with one of his buddies. He's kind of talked about maybe he would do the casting thing. Having two boats on the water, doing two different things, we're going to figure out what's kind of going on. Yeah, it's a good game plan. I hope that by listening to this episode, somebody can pick up a couple of hints or tips or whatever to maybe make opening day a little successful. Phil from Outright Angling out of Leech Lake, Minnesota, super knowledgeable guide, puts a lot of big fish in the net. Obviously, he's fishing on Leech Lake so that he has the availability of big fish right there. Uh, We also want to just thank our listeners for listening to the podcast every single week. I know we, we do that. We talk about that often, and it's definitely true. We certainly appreciate it. We appreciate the messages that you guys give us. We appreciate the emails on, you know, on the podcast. And it seems like people are still liking what we're doing here. So that's cool because, you know, Brad and I still enjoy it. And I think Carrie enjoys it when she has a chance to do it. So we want to thank them for, or thank you all for listening. We also want to thank all of our customers again for shopping with us. Because quite honestly, if people didn't shop with us, I don't know if we'd be able to have the time to do the podcast. Or maybe we'd have more time. But anyways, either way. We get, uh, that's how we make anything off the podcast is by people shopping with us. So we appreciate you buying products from Team Rhino Outdoors. And we certainly appreciate you buying products from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And Brad, Carrie, you got anything you need to say before we dial up Phil? 
I don't think so, Jeff. I'm uh, I'm excited. We're three days away from the opener. Fortunately for you, you've kind of had a little bit of time on the water fishing muskies already, but uh, this is a big time for Minnesota, and it's kind of the launch of our whole season. So let's get into it. Let's do it. All right, our guest today is Phil Bowerly, outright angling out of Leech Lake, Minnesota. Phil, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule to talk muskie fishing with us today. This is the uh, first time we've ever had you on the podcast, first time guest. So typically we like to go down the road of, uh, you know, background. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you're up to over there in Leech Lake and talk about maybe a little bit about, you know, what got you into muskie fishing. And then also for the people looking to get in touch with you, why don't you let them know how they can go about doing that? Yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, fan of the show and uh, glad to be here. Um, yeah, so I've been on Leech Lake for 17 years, uh, living in the same house here on the same shallow rice bed out here. Started out uh, moving to the area to muskie fish and uh, do construction. And then in 08, 09, when the housing market kind of crashed, I was a licensed contractor. Uh, kind of kept my head above water, but uh, the, the projects were getting smaller and smaller and uh, dipped my toe into guiding a little bit. And um, the market took a little bit longer to recover in these rural areas. So by 2010, construction work was pretty slow. And so I decided to just kind of jump in with both feet. Uh, people still wanted to fish. So here I am uh, seven or eight years later, uh, been doing it full time for eight years now so but i've been chasing muskies since 1993 i caught my first muskie on uh, sugar lake in gray county near st cloud growing up so got bit by the muskie bug pretty early and uh ended up on leech lake which i think is you know the most important muskie lake in minnesota probably so and it's a great fishery yeah, it goes kind of further than that too, doesn't it, Phil? I mean, you're a multi-species uh, angler, and I know that you guide for walleyes as well as smallies, correct? Yeah, correct. And and really uh, learning, I was never much of a walleye fisherman growing up, but uh, we get such a great fishery here that started taking advantage of it, uh, you know, just fishing uh, with family and learning it a little bit, fishing a few tournaments and getting into the walleye fishing doing trips for walleyes really kind of springboarded it so I could get into doing it full time instead of part time like the early days. Yeah. Uh, walleye fishing primarily now in May and into June a little bit ice fishing for walleyes as well. And then, uh, I think I've got eight or 10 more walleye trips here before we go full steam into, into musky fishing there's some clients that i just can't say no to that call for walleye trips in the summer so i do a few sprinkled in but yeah looking forward to musky opener it's a great time of year we've got nhl playoffs uh musky opener kids are getting out of school now so families are going to be on vacation it's an exciting time of year a lot going on here at leech lake so if somebody out there was interested in looking at a trip phil how could they get a hold of you uh, you could, the best way is just to check out my website, outrightangling.com. Um, and my number and emails on there, people text me or, uh, email me and I try to get back to them as soon as I can. Yeah. It's not always the easiest gig when you're guiding full time, spending time on the water. You don't, don't want to steal from the people that are in your boat, but at the same time, you need to make those answers and phone calls. So it's always a challenge. That's for sure. 
Absolutely. I try not to be on my phone all day when I'm out there, but I can usually sneak a text in and get back to people if they know what dates they're looking for. I can tell we're talking to a Minnesota Muskie angler. He brought up hockey in the first four minutes of the podcast. <laughs> Go wild. <laughs> by the time, hopefully by the time this airs, they aren't, they aren't knocked out of it. But. I, I'm not even sure where it is right now. I watched the, or I listened to the first game during the walleye opener that Sunday. How are they sitting right now, Phil? They forced a game seven last night. So they were, uh, came from a two game deficit uh, per usual. Force the game seven here, so we'll see if they can get past the, the first round. Rebuilding year, but they exceeded expectations, I would say. So, pretty exciting. Absolutely. Well, let's shift gears and let's start talking about muskie openers. Because, I mean, when this airs, it's three days away, I guess. So, I mean, think about that. <laughs> it's hard to believe we've come full circle. The season's upon us, and I guess some of the things that I've been thinking about for Minnesota opener, you know, we've talked about northern Wisconsin opener, we talked about southern Wisconsin opener, but uh, here we are, it's Minnesota time frame now. I'm curious what your game plan is for that first couple days, Phil. I'm, I'm generally going to troll a little bit. I like doing the open water thing in June, but uh, there's times when casting can be uh, be on top, so Kind of curious what your game plan looks like. Yeah, right on. I'm anxious, most anxious to get out and troll the open water. I think we've got the water temps. Uh, that should be pretty good. Get the Cisco's going out in the open water. So I'll be trolling. I troll with a mask like you do in big boards. We'll be out doing that, keeping our baits near the surface, looking for the most uh, tulipy activity out there. Uh, we've got you know, 12 distinct basins out here on Leech Lake, 10 or 12 that you can troll and catch muskies in any of them. Most people think of the, the main basin in, you know, between Stony Point in that area and Walker Bay, but there's actually, we catch fish in all 10 or 12 basins trolling open water out here on Leech. So it kind of all happens at the same time some years and uh, it almost goes by too fast. Yeah, looking forward to long days out there searching for fish in the open water. How big is Leech Lake? It's 111,000 acres, and it's got a couple hundred miles of shoreline. Slightly smaller than Mille Lacs, but, you know, twice as much shoreline. More than you can fish in a, in a weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> for sure. And, yeah, this, a lot of variety of uh, musky habitat out here, too, which is probably... The strength of the lake, you can fish weeds, you can fish rocks, mud, sand, uh, tulipy basins, open water trolling. So if something's not working, you can, I like to switch it up pretty quickly. We'll go, when we're casting, we'll go and hit rock spots. And if the rocks aren't popping, we'll go hit weeds. And we'll start out trolling in the basin more, more, more than likely. But I do have some clients that really can't wait to cast. So we'll do some of that. Uh, situational casting, uh, probably in the kind of up in the frog water a little bit. You can usually find some some sportier fish. A lot of times, the males back in the uh, smaller. You know, we call it all Leech Lake, but it's really like a chain of lakes here. So you can get on some of the smaller bays that are basically like separate lakes and uh, start casting. Uh, it's a, an opener is the best time to 
get at those fresh fish that haven't seen a lure in a long time. We'll probably do mostly trolling with some situational casting too back in the base. I'm curious, Bill, are you doing any of that uh, casting out in the open water as well? Yeah, for sure. I played around last year, last season with live scope quite a bit. So uh, that makes it a little bit more fun uh, once you see them out there. And if we're trolling through them and and they don't want to hit trolled lures, then we're casting everything from topwaters to, you know, big rubber at them and catching a few that way too. Awesome. You know, one of the things that, that you kind of touched on, and I agree with you on this, you know, controlling where your bait is in the water when you're trolling. You said that you're going to be in that top upper water column. I mean, up high. It's amazing to me how many fish I will find. You know, they might be in 60, 80 feet of water, but they're literally laying with their backs out, out, you know, exposed. And it's pretty amazing when you're driving around trolling and all of a sudden, hey, there's a muskie laying right there on the surface. So a lot of times I think keeping your baits higher is definitely a key in this whole game with the open water trolling. For sure. You, you can't fish too high most of the time. You can definitely fish too deep. That's been my experience out here. Yeah, a lot of times we're just running 10 feet of line, keeping them real close to the surface. So I'm sure if you wanted to troll top waters around, you'd catch fish too. Yeah, I, I won't argue that. It's pretty amazing. I think that kind of blows some people's minds when you're sitting in 80 feet of water and you're casting top waters. But hey, guess what? It works. Yeah, for sure. For sure. A lot of fun. Uh, last It was fun last year playing around with live scope actually pointing it straight ahead in in normal forward and down mode while we were trolling and picking up fish 80 feet in front of the boat that were five or six feet under the surface and then seeing them push as they came under the boat push down to you know 15 feet or so as the boat went over them and then assuming they're coming back up uh, and, and it kind of clicked that maybe they feed like that out in the open water, being able to see it live. Um, I think if they see something coming, a school of bait fish or whatever, they're near the surface. That's where the warm water is. Their metabolism's cranking, uh, specifically in June. And they see some stuff They're They're looking around with their eyes. And if they see bait fish or something coming, they're probably sinking down and then they're looking up at it. And I think they, they want to feed up. Um, they'll come up quite a ways, but, um, it, it seems to me that, uh, they want to sink down and if something comes between them and the surface, it's toast, you know? So it's kind of cool to see that unfold live last year <laughs> kind of made, made sense to me a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the other things too, I, I notice a lot of times on my side imaging is I'm trolling in the open water you'll you'll kind of come over top of that fish like you're talking and you'll literally see their tails like trying to jet off whether it be portside or starboard just trying to get away from that boat but guess what when you're running boards and you got baits on both sides of the boat you know they're running right into a school of uh crankbaits basically right right yeah you don't want to get the boat you want to get the boat close to the fish but not too close if you can help it (laughs) exactly that's interesting with the live scope side. You know, I know there's a bunch of guys out on St. Clair using it in the trolling aspect. I know a lot of times they're watching their baits so they know if there's a fish behind the bait or whatever. But, man, my biggest challenge right now, is it, I've been around that live scope a little bit 
And the crazy thing for me is I feel like I'm glued to the screen because my eyes aren't that good. So I'm I'm trying to study, you know, oh, there's a fish. You know what I mean? How do you deal with that challenge? Well, for me, it's great because if I've got people casting, uh, they can focus on that. And I'm, you know, panning the live scope looking for fish and maybe occasionally telling them where a fish is at and where to cast. It gives me something to do as I'm trolling or, you know, moving the boat along. Yeah, it's not something you need to stare at necessarily when you're trying to cast as well. But um, for me, just sitting there running the boat a lot of days, it's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, hands down. I know, Jeff, you ended up getting a live scope, didn't you? I did. I had think, I think I had it for, well, no, maybe not the whole season. Half the season. I still didn't play with it as much as I should have, though, just because... Like I said, Brad, like you were mentioning, I just didn't want to be looking at the screen all the time. And when I was casting, it was difficult for me to use, and I didn't do a ton of trolling with it. So uh, hopefully maybe this year I'll play around with a little bit more trolling and get it out and and play with it a little bit. But like I said, casting-wise, I just spent too much time looking at the screen and trying to figure stuff out. It just felt like it was actually taking me out of my game a little bit. Yeah, I could definitely see that. One other thing that was pretty eye-opening is how many fish actually were getting on our baits and peeling off, you know, 20 or 25 feet from the boat, just at the point where you wouldn't be able to see them with their eyes. They're, they're doing a U-turn and swimming away. So we were seeing that all day long, which can be more frustrating than helpful sometimes, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the problem with electronics, right? Okay, we know there's a fish here, but we still can't get it to eat. What are we doing wrong, you know? But and I've never it's about timing. Yeah, and I've never been a big camper. I don't feed fish over the head if I can help it. There's always another one to go pursue. So if we see one on the on the live scope or side imaging, we'll we'll make ten, twelve casts to it. And if it's uh, if it doesn't happen, we'll leave that fish alone. So absolutely, I'm curious um, if you had to pick one tool, would it be the live scope or would it be side imaging? Probably side imaging, just because. With the side imaging, you're just covering so much water. And uh, the live scope is really great. Even for walleye fishing, it's it's better to find them with the side imaging. And then once you found some fish, you can, your cast placement and the way you're working your lure, the live scope is, is more helpful there. So, sure. I would, I, I would say the side imaging is better for finding them and the live scope is more useful for catching them. <laughs> So with with your Garmin that you're talking, you got your live scope, are you mounted on your transom or are you running off the bow or how are you running that? I'm running it off the gunnel near my console. So if I'm running the boat, I'm sitting at my my steering wheel. I've got my graphs and my side imaging pole is right there. Very cool. Well, we kind of went off course here a little bit talking about the Minnesota yeah. musky opener, but but it's all <laughs> interesting stuff and I think it's important. So. Um, I'm curious about a couple different things that, uh, that tie into this whole opener time frame. You know, the month of June, in my opinion, with the open water, I, I really honestly believe it's an opportunity at the largest fish in the lake. And that's primarily one of the reasons why I do it. I also do it with some clients that maybe can't stand and cast all day anymore. So it works out pretty well. I, I'm always excited about the month of June. But one of my questions to you, Phil, would be, I know the water temps are a little bit higher this year. It's kind of interesting. We're just finally getting some rain um, after about a month and a half of no rain. So that'll cool down the the surface somewhat. But 
I'm curious if you see in your realm of open water fishing, is it more of a calendar time or do you think it's more of a water temp uh, bait fish time? Uh, it depends. I think it could be a combination, but I think uh, that photo period definitely does get overlooked. The length of the days, keys uh, a lot of a lot of the biomass keys in on that. So the bug hatches seem to be always around the same water temp, though it seems to me. So we typically have a good open water trolling bite here. The last, the uh, the sec, you know, from the twentieth to the thirtieth of June, typically, but. Um, I think it could kick off just a little bit early this year with the with the warmer temps. So, should be game on on uh, on opening day here. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I I remember back probably 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, but we had like a, a period in there where it was man five six years where opening day we were just kicking butt doing the open water thing. And I haven't seen that for quite a few years now. And that's why I asked, you know, it seems like it's more of a calendar time frame. Um, but this year, I don't know. Carrie and I were on the water, what, last Saturday. Honestly, there was a bunch of uh, uh, lake bugs hatching then too. So it was kind of interesting. I mean, we're we're probably good two weeks ahead of schedule as far as uh, water camps, I would say. Yeah, we've already seen stonefly hatches here fish flies they call them around here and that's typically not until you know the 10th of june or a little later sometimes so we're we're ahead of schedule i think as far as the bugs are gonna are gonna go and uh, we're already seeing walleyes show a preference for leeches and night crawlers so that's kind of more of a of a buggy look for them too uh, instead of the instead of the shiner minnows that they eat when the water's in the in the 50s so Absolutely. I'm, I'm assuming, Phil, that you use some of your multi-species, you know, when you're walleye and smallie fishing, you're using that as a tool to kind of get in touch with what the muskies might be doing as well. Oh, for sure. It's all, it's all time on the water and uh, trying to dial in on what the bait fish are doing and the whole food chain, really. I think it's, it's helpful. Definitely an advantage to be out there. Some guides have a second uh, job, you know, off the lake. Mine just happens to be uh, uh, walleye and smallmouth fishing out here. So, Obviously, that can be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, last year we had so many calls. We were inundated uh, with people not being able to go to Canada. So I was able to not book any walleye trips after the 4th of July. So I think that's going to be the case from, from here on out, too. I love walleye fishing, but try to hit the... The peak times here and uh, chase muskies as much as we can here on this uh, musky factory. Phil, are you seeing any like differences in the weed growth? Does that look like it's a couple weeks ahead also or kind of normal? I mean, what we saw last weekend looked fairly normal in my opinion, but I'm not on the water every day. Yeah, no, I think it looks really good. Um, we've, we've been fishing some cabbage weeds for walleyes and actually there's muskies hanging around in them that we've seen and some of these cabbage weeds are already to the surface which is pretty early i think but we we had uh you know the shallows has been have been like bath water here up until the last couple of days this little cool down we were seeing mid to upper 60s in a lot of the shallows i know it's probably a thin surface layer but um that's warm water 
for the end of May, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely warm water. Do you think, I mean, right now, I'm pretty sure it was 40-some degrees. I know it was yesterday, this morning. I'm assuming it's 40-some degrees again. We only have a high of, like, 46 today, I think. Is that... Not right. I got to look. Yeah, but, 46 is our yeah. high today. Um, how do you think that'll affect it? Well, it looks like a couple of cool, a couple more cool nights, and then it's going to start to bump back up. So I'm hoping just a minor uh, hiccup in the seasonal progression here. Overall, by you know June 10th it's, or June 5th, it's going to be uh, warm, warmer than average water temps for sure. With uh, yeah, definitely some some better than average weed growth. I think out here what i'm seeing so the next part i gotta ask is you know what are you putting in your mix for your trolling i run probably two-thirds of what i run are supernatural baits mat locks and head locks and the occasional lip lock and then i also run some blue waters and i run some mostly 12 inches and then i run um, jointed perch baits if I want to run a joint, uh, smaller jointed bait, uh, sometimes that can be, can be a big deal out here too. So, but that's pretty situational. We'll probably start out with a pretty good spread of matlocks on, on opener. So let's switch over and talk about the casting. I know that you had mentioned some top water and so on and so forth, large or small baits. I lean pretty large. I mean, not huge, but, um, I'm sure I'll have we'll have a junior cowgirl tied on, which is I consider like a medium sized bucktail. Uh, we will go to small, probably my number one casting bait for real early season, especially when the water's colder, and we need to go with something a little smaller. Would be like a real small slash type twitch bait. Like I'm big on the old school uh, bomber magnum long A's. I usually have a pretty good selection of those. We just need a bite. Uh, we work those really erratically. And uh, the muskies seem to like them real early, early season. Um, the last couple of years, uh, we've got some smaller basins and we've seen a lot of duckling and aller ducklings uh, in June. I think that's a thing. <laughs> we've been running prop top waters too pretty early in the year up in some of that frog water and uh, shorelines where we see merganser and mallard ducklings, uh, they'll eat those topwaters right off the bat usually. So that's a fun bite. Totally makes sense. <laughs> it's kind of a creepy bite too, the way they, they'll slow stock them and just sort of put their mouth on them instead of completely inhaling them. I think maybe they're trying not to spook uh, the rest of them, you know, like they'll just come up and take one bird, <laughs> one and maybe save another one for later or something. So that's kind of cool. Maybe I shouldn't even be mentioning that to people, <laughs> to the musky haters out there. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's I figure, funny. I figure any, yeah, I figure anything that would eat a mallard duckling deserves to get uh, caught and released anyway. Exactly. It's like I told somebody here a week ago. It's a really weird concept, but fish eat fish, and they move around in the lake. So, I mean, it's one of them deals where, <laughs> I mean, I think we all try to put rocket science in this. Honestly, just good, solid logic definitely seems to win. So, 
they're, they're predators and they're going to eat. So whether they choose a duck or a fish or whatever they choose to eat, it's part of the equation. That's right. That's right. Do it. Do what you think makes sense. Um, I always say that one thing about muskie fishing is we often have plenty of time between fish to overthink it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think <laughs> sometimes we're our own worst enemies. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. So Phil, I wrote a couple notes down as you've been talking. The first thing I heard you say multiple times was frog water. For people that don't understand the term frog water, you want to understand, you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you mean by that when you talk about it? Yeah, just some of those shallow confined areas, like the backs of bays where there's the weed growth develops the soonest, the water temps warm up uh, quick. A lot of times it's adjacent to spawning areas. Um, there'll be fish, a few fish that hang around in those, but, um, so we'll probably do some situational casting in those areas early. Cause like I said, there's, there's some people that can't wait to cast, uh, right after opener. So we'll do, we'll do some of that. And, uh, we, we don't often contact a lot of fish doing that, but it's a good, a good time to, 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 you know, put a fish in the net, uh, casting, uh, in those areas. And there'll be a few fish that, um, um, are on main lake points and shorelines early too that you can cast to. But you, again, you just don't contact that many fish that time of year because there's so many fish out in the basin here. So, And then the um, another question I had was, so you talked about switching it up, and this is something I've brought up on other podcasts because like switching it up and making decisions can obviously be the difference between success and failure on any given day. Like if a pattern was working yesterday, how long do you give it let's say, you know, the next day before you're switching it up. Cause I think, you know, making those calls and, and, uh, calling an audible, if you, you know, for another word, it's, yep. that's going to help guys put more fish in the net. And that's also one of the most difficult decisions to make. For sure. If we've been catching them there, you know, the previous day, I'll give it a little bit longer, but if we're sort of starting from scratch a little bit, um, I'll go fish my two favorite rock spots on the lake and if we don't raise the fish we might not fish rock spots the rest of the day we'll go fish weed spots quickly change it up and if the weeds don't show us anything we might go you know fish the open water tulipy basin so we've got such a diversity of habitat out here and separate basins and and so that's the lake strength so i think you really have to play to the lake's strength which is it's diversity of habitat. So you have to be willing to switch it up quickly. I, and that's, that's how we approach it anyway. Sure. That definitely makes sense. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's one of those things, making decisions on the water, you know, between whether it be trolling, casting, you know, that kind of stuff, big, small, deep, shallow rocks, weeds, you know, and obviously that defines success during the course of a day and making the right decision is obviously preferred, but it's also hard. Even if you've been catching fish out of weeds for a day, you know, to go ahead and fish weeds for two hours and then, you know, be like, okay, yeah, we're going to, we're going to transfer over, switch over to rocks. I think a lot of people have a hard time making that call. I think they live on yesterday's too, too much, I think. I think you're right. And th that's one of the coolest things about muskies is that you can pattern them like you can a bass or anything else. And so if you're trying to develop a pattern, uh, you're doing the same thing all day. It just does not make sense. <laughs> not to me anyway. Right. And I, and I'm guilty of it too. I know that there's times where, 
you know, I've done a certain thing during the early part of the season and I kind of stick to it too long. And then once you're done, you're like, oh, that was stupid. I should have changed it up. But, you know, sometimes in a, in a day, you just, you don't know if the window is not open, if the muskies aren't there, you know, like there's a whole lot that goes into it. And I think something like Brad had mentioned, I think sometimes we outthink ourselves on catching fish. Yeah, for sure. It's all, it really, what it comes down to is it's all trial and error, right? So if <laughs> the more you're on the water, the more, the quicker you can narrow it down, but, um, it's all trial and error, really a big experiment. <laughs> I always refer to it as fishing memories and that memory yeah. might be from yesterday. It might be from this morning. It might be from last year. And a lot of times I think fishing memories kind of puts you in a bad position right off the start. So Reacting on the water in a timely fashion definitely can make the change. And I think the biggest scenario that you can see this in is tournaments. I mean, you, you talk to these guys, they've been pre-fishing for their tournament, they're on fish, they're confident. And guess what? The day of the tournament, the bite's totally different. And how long do you stick it out? You know, but the neat thing about tournaments is even when you can talk to say half the field and they're like, we're struggling. I don't know what's going on. Somebody out there is always catching fish and it's no different than a weekend angler. I mean, somebody on the lake is going to catch muskies. That's part of the gig. So changing things up can definitely make a difference. For sure. Yeah. Knowing when to kind of double down on uh, what you're doing and, and make, or make a change is a tough decision sometimes, like you say. So Carrie got me thinking when she asked you about the size of the lake and obviously Leech Lake is a giant body of water. You know, the one thing I think, you know, this can be applied to even small bodies of water, but like, how did you go about learning Leech Lake? I mean, did you basically like section it off and, you know, this week I'm going to spend time in this area? Like, how can you talk a little bit about breaking down big water or, or how you broke down the big water? Yeah, exactly. Uh, piece by piece. Um, when I started fishing Leech Lake around, I suppose 2000, uh, is when I first started fishing Leech Lake, I still had a 16 foot boat. So it was some days you didn't have any choice, but to just pick a bay and, and go cast it out. And you, that's how you learn it. You know, you learn, learn it one piece at a time. And, uh, now, you know, fast forward to today, bigger boats, bigger motors. And, uh, you know, I burn a lot of gas and fish the whole lake now. So yeah, just piece by piece. You learn, you, I'm, st I still learn new spots every year out here and find new things that I hadn't seen before. And, uh, there's a few shorelines that I maybe haven't even casted out yet. So that's the, that's the fun part about being on a big body of water. You know, and Phil, I guess what I'll ask you is a group of anglers comes out for a weekend, you know, what's your advice to them on the, on the bigger water? You know, I'll, I'll preface this in saying like these guides take time out of their schedules to come on our podcast and offer up some information. So obviously we prefer that they, they, you know, book a day with you to help learn, but there's some guys that just don't want to do that. And, you know, we're trying to help them out too, but we're also trying to, you know, get people to understand that like these guides take time out of their schedule to come on our podcast. But like if, if somebody's just coming up for a weekend, you know, what kind of advice do you have to offer for breaking down bigger water quickly or kind of quickly and having moderate success? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the main thing is, is just don't rule anything out. I mean, Leech Lake literally has muskies in every section of the lake. There's, I don't think there's anywhere on the lake that you could not catch a muskie. So the main thing is, is just come out, pick an area and start casting or trolling. Just do what makes sense. Uh, a lot of people come out and, and they get a little bit of intel. 
and they want to fish the same 10 or 12 prime spots on the lake, which is fine. And there's fish there. A lot of times just getting a few hundred yards down the shoreline or finding a, you know, a two foot deeper uh, rock pile that doesn't have buoys on it or something like that can make all the difference. So mainly just, uh, just start fishing put your time in and, and, uh, uh, most people do a pretty good job out here. I think of, you know, narrowing it down pretty quickly just because there's so many visual targets and those are, are good places to start. I guess one of the things that I was thinking about there, Jeff, is, you know, the thing that leech kind of offers, I mean, for a weekend fisherman, honestly, I mean, you can break that down into multiple lakes. I think Phil kind of went that direction for a second there. It, it's amazing when you're on that size of body of water, you can just, I mean, take for example, Walker Bay. It's, it's like its own lake amongst that whole lake. So I don't know. I, I think that a lot of times we get caught up in burning gas and going, okay, we're going to go here. Now we're going to go over here. And if you just broke things down into smaller batches of water, you're probably going to be more successful. I think as an angler myself, as I continue to learn more and more spots on different bodies of water, it almost gets more complicated. When you're leaving the access, you're going, okay, well, I seen fish here. Well, I did this here. Where do you start? And the more you know, sometimes the harder it gets, I think. Would you agree with that, Phil? Yeah, it can be. Yeah, it can be. Uh, sometimes you just got to go fish, uh, you know, pick an area and, and, and start trolling or start casting. You're not going to fish the whole lake in a day, so. You have to uh, narrow it down somehow, and uh, it's all trial and error, musky fishing, fishing in general. Hands down. I think, though, once once you identify, okay, these fish are sitting on sand, well, guess what? You can go check all the different sand spots then. But, you know, in the beginning, I would say break it down into smaller chunks before you uh, start flying across the lake all over and burning a bunch of fuel. For sure. Hey, Phil, how do you decide if you want to go from, so say, say you go hit rocks, nothing's moving off the rocks. How do you decide if you want to go from the rocks to the shallow weeds or if you want to go to the deep weeds or, I mean, leech has like every structure under the sun. I've been there one time and it's insane how much structure there is out there. So where, where do you, I mean, you've got rice, you've got, you've got tons and tons of different options. How do you choose? Yeah, so sometimes it is about proximity. So if you've got some good sand areas near those rock areas, you might go check those next. And if that's not popping, then you'll slide around the corner and hit a weed bed. And then other times, if it's July or August, it, uh, other boats might dictate uh, where you're going to go next too. So if there's a lot of people fishing the rocks, you might skip them. If there's a lot of people up in the weeds, you might go try some sand or something like that. So I wouldn't say Leech Lake has a ton of pressure compared to some of the other lakes, but, um, you know, in July and August, it's, other boats can play a factor, especially when most people are fishing the same, you know, 10 or 20 spots out here every day. So it's a good time to just go grab a shoreline and go to. You know, that whole area up there, Phil, has a ton of musky water. So I'm yeah, curious, yeah. how often do you pull out of leech and hit some of those other bodies of water? Pro probably not enough. I fish leech lake, uh, you know, May to November. I really don't do a lot of running around. It'd probably be good to do that, but with my busy schedule, I don't, I don't get to do it that much. 
there, yeah, like you said, there's, you know, a dozen, not only does Leech Lake have 10 or 12 basins in itself, there's 10 or 12 really good musky lakes within 40 miles of here. So that's, uh, that's another, uh, but for me, Leech Lake is big enough and, uh, there's always, I, I'd always feel like I was missing something if I go fish a smaller lake. So. Yeah, that makes total sense. I know it's really hard. I mean, it's always a struggle. Do we go try this or do we go do this, you know, as far as a body of water? Um, and you got to have the right clients. I mean, hey, I haven't been there this year. Let's uh, yeah. let's go jump over here and try it. You know, it's hard to leave a, a good bite on a certain body of water and then maybe bomb on the next one. So, you know, it, it's a tough call. It can be a fickle lake out here too. If you, you know, there's days you, you can go multiple days without catching a fish and believe me, your, your mind's going, <laughs> should we run up to gas? Should we run over to Bemidji or something? But, uh, usually I try to tough it out here. I, I just feel like there's fish to catch somewhere out here on the lake. Yeah. I would, I would never argue that point. That's for sure. Phil, especially on that type of body of water. Yeah, but we do get our butts kicked out here from time to time. <laughs> I think everybody gets their butts kicked every once in a while on whatever body of water they choose. Sometimes it's the fish out here and sometimes it's the wind. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's one factor, you know, playing that wind. I know you said that you started on a 16-foot boat. I was no different. I was fishing malaxed all the time in a 16-foot boat. And you definitely got to play, you know, where the wind is going to be that day and and make good choices because you could get in trouble in a big hurry on a big body of water like that. But honestly, I mean, I miss some of those days being in a smaller boat and doing different things. It was a lot of fun actually. Yeah. And it can really turn the, the fish on and, and point you in the right direction for getting a few big bites that day, uh, playing the wind, but it kind of depends on who's in your boat that day too. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, uh, the end of open water trolling, I mean, I, I generally, it's right around July 1st and, and primarily because when we start developing a thermocline, I know there's times when these fish are coming from way deep and they're demolishing your bait. And I just basically do not want to kill any fish. So my whole gig is if they are starting to uh, hang down by that thermocline a little bit and they're still coming up and eating, I'm risking the fish um, having mortality. So I just go away from it. And that's kind of when I shift gears to start casting. I'm curious what kind of time frame you normally kind of switch from the open water stuff to more structure type fishing. Yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. Um, when that surface layer gets thicker and thicker, uh, those tulabies are just kind of getting squeezed out of the, getting further sque- squeezed out of actually a lot of the lake. Uh, it's just too shallow for them. So either getting out in those deeper basins and getting deeper down. And yeah, I, I just don't want to target fish that are deeper than 10 or 12 feet most of the time, if I can help it. So we're, uh, you're exactly right. And a lot of times some of those fish will start showing up on these um, main lake points and shorelines. Um, sometimes in pretty big bunches, we've had a few years where, uh, you know, you'll get in an area, uh, adjacent to where the fish have been in open water and shoreline, uh, will have fish stacked on it, you know, 20, 30, 40 fish, uh, on one, one shoreline. And so, 
Um, it can take you a while to find them, but boy, game on for casting at that point. I've experienced that many times as well, Phil. And that, that not only happens, you know, the beginning of July, but I've seen it happen early in June as well. It, it's really strange. I mean, when those fish push in, man, it, there's nothing better than to be there um, casting at them. So, you know, I can't really give you a good explanation on why they're doing what they're doing, but it definitely is something that you periodically want to go check. You know, if you're, if you're not seeing the fish on your side imaging out in the open basins, guess what? They went somewhere. Now it's, you know, back on your plate. You need to figure it out. Yeah, and sometimes it's a real nondescript shoreline or area um, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't normally uh, think of. And uh, those fish, are, we see a lot of porpoising fish and uh, behavior. They're not necessarily feeding. They're kind of fat and happy at that point, I think. But you ha- if you've got that many fish in, a, in an area of shallow water, you've got to got to keep keep trying, right? Yeah, exactly. Work out. I mean, they move the target. We try to follow the target, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of times. That's a good time to throw a top water or a big bucktail or just trying to experiment run through casting baits it's a fun time jeff with uh like your wisconsin stuff i know you spent a ton of time in northern wisconsin um are you targeting at all did you try it at all last year with the open water i know you've come over here and done it with me i'm just kind of curious i mean you got some really cool bodies of water that you could target the same fish that we are i didn't i spent not early season i did it um i don't know i'd say mildly often in the fall or you know later fall late september october but i spent more of my time casting i i've just i don't know i just spent more time casting this year i've listened to you talk on the podcast for an entire season so i'm going to probably try to do a little bit more of that and i'm probably going to try to target a little bit bigger baits for the opener because this is filmed before i get a chance to go out for opener so um but i'm going to try a little bit of that and you know hopefully by you know, Sunday afternoon or so, we end up with a fish in the boat. I don't think I'm gonna, with the cooler temperatures. I don't think I'm gonna start out early in the in the day or early in the morning. I'm not gonna rush out to get out there at dark, you know, or right before dark or before sunset comes up. But, um, but anyways, yeah, it's on my plan to do, Brad. But I haven't played around with it much, and I know that, like you said, there's a whole bunch of lakes out there that would be good at doing it. The only problem with trolling with me is. It's usually just me. I think my daughter will probably fish with me this weekend, so I can probably troll two lines if I get my son. He likes musky fishing too now. Maybe I could get three, but he's never going to stick it out for much more than three hours probably, I'm guessing. Well, pick the right three hours, Jeff. I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess, you know, when I when they opened up trolling in northern Wisconsin, I assumed I would do a lot of it because I've done a lot of trolling in my day. But I really don't. I don't know. It's just weird. Like, I feel better trying to pattern fish with one lure casting than I do with one lure trolling. It's just, I don't know. It's weird how that, how that is. But, like, if I could have three, then I could go, you know, bright, dark, small, big, deep, shallow. You know, you can change it up a little bit more, so it gives you a lot more options. But when I only have one lure trolling, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, I have less confidence than I do if I'm casting one lure, which, I don't know, doesn't make any sense because technically trolling, you're in the water the entire time. Yeah, I, I kind of understand that. But, you know, one of the things that pops in the back of my head is, you know, I think of some of the old timers, even some of the guys that are probably in their 40s doing the road trolling up in your neck of the woods. And, man, I mean, that's 
think about how do you learn row trolling with one bait out? I mean, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> well, now back up a second though, Brad, if you want to row troll up in Northern Wisconsin, you can run three lines doing that. Oh, you can. Yep. Okay. I used before, before uh, trolling was legalized up there, I used to row troll quite a bit. I have a row trolling boat it's still here. Yeah, it's always intrigued me. I've never gotten to experience it. Um, I've seen the real trolling boats and what have you, but uh, it's mind-boggling, honestly. But I I know a lot of that time was spent in the open water with those guys, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's all they did. But it's weird. I don't see them up there either. Even when I was roll trolling, I didn't see many guys doing it. So I don't know if they just did it during a certain time of the year or what. Like, I had people that would see me rowing, and I'd have a planer board out usually, and then I'd have two rods out, and they were always looking at me like, "What the heck's this guy doing?" So it was kind of a strange deal, and I, ne- I never, I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen another person out there roll trolling ever. That's amazing. But I'll tell you this: if you want to tell, like, people are like, "Oh, trolling's easy." <laughs> sure, try roll trolling. Not so easy. Definitely the yeah. hardest way to catch a muskie, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me. And I can say I did catch him roll trolling. I have I have had success roll trolling, so it's been uh, it's a it's a ride. I've caught him I've caught him lots of different ways. I'm not always super successful, but pretty much every which way I've, I've tried to catch a muskie, I've been able to do it. I've got him trolling, casting, jigging, roll trolling, suckers, the whole thing. I don't know. Are there anything else I'm missing? <laughs> Probably, but that's okay. <laughs> a fly, what about a fly rod? Oh, <laughs> uh, definitely no fly rods. I'm not ready to go down that road. That's going to cost me too much money. Although, quite honestly, it can't cost me much more than a road trolling boat cost me, right? Well, we've we've got Carrie here who has stepped into that whole realm. She's uh, she's set up to do the fly fishing thing. So, I've only guided a couple different people over the years that uh, won the target with a fly rod, but I'd say that was pretty early in my career, and I think things have elevated a little bit. I think there's a lot better systems out there than there was 20 years ago. So pretty interesting so phil you know we've we used to do this a ton and we've kind of moved away from it we come back to it we go back so if there was one tip that maybe you could provide to our listeners what would you say about going out on opening weekend that first week or so of the season and uh a tip that maybe relates to that yeah yeah i would say pick a cisco lake and uh grab your wives, girlfriends, kids, anyone you can think of and, and put some lines out and troll in the open water and look for, look for Cisco's and keep your baits high and uh, try to catch the biggest fish in the lake. Basically what I would say. I call that refugee boat when you get that many people in there. And honestly, here in the Minnesota where you only get one line, you're exactly right. That's what I try to do. They don't have to be musky fishermen either. Anyone can can reel one in. So it's a great way That's to I, great way to get everybody out. Absolutely, it is. I, I know my daughter's first two muskies at five years old. It was both in the open water trolling. So definitely something anybody can do. You're exactly right, Phil. And it can be really incredible. And the second part of it is, is I honestly believe that's where one of the largest fish that you're going to put in the boat for the year is in the month of June. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You can certainly catch fish casting in June in this part of the state, but that open water's got got a lot of big fish, and uh, 
it's not that hard to figure out. You just have to kind of commit to it a little bit and uh, things fall into place. I think it can be intimidating. I mean, you're kind of out there in the middle of nowhere and I think people struggle with that mentally, but honestly, just uh, put some time in and believe in it and you're going to score. Yeah. And you can pick a confined open water basin. It doesn't have to be the largest basin in the lake. Sometimes these smaller separate basins can be, can be really good. And sometimes they turn on a little sooner too. So you can fish two or three smaller basins in a day really easily. That's a, a good way to score a really big fish, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think there's a certain time frame during the day that that becomes more part of the equation, if you will, say a major or minor, things like that? Or are you just seeing kind of random? I, I think that's the one interesting thing I would say about my open water trolling. Don't get me wrong, those majors and minors make a difference. But at the same time, it seems like in the open water like that, you can find a fish that's active any given point in the day. Yeah, that's right. And there'll definitely be windows and it'll carry over sometimes from one day to the next two or three days in a row. You might get all your bites in a window, but I haven't put together such a keen correlation with the moon majors or anything like that. Uh, so if you caught them at two o'clock really good one day, make sure you're out there at two o'clock the next day, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's strange. I know two years ago, I think it was five thirty six o'clock. I talked about it on the, the first year of our podcast and it, it was weird every day at five thirty quarter to six, we put a fish in the boat and it lasted for maybe a month and a half. It was absolutely insane. <laughs> and then I started talking to other guides across the state and they went, wow. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We did the same exact thing and it had no relation to the moon whatsoever. So those windows are key and keep it in the back of your head when you catch, guess what? I mean, it might be on a major, it might be on a minor, but it might not. And um, utilizing those as, as tools will definitely put more fish in your boat as well. Yeah. Last year we had a nine thirty bite for quite a while. Uh, you know, he ended up with a 20 fish week. All the fish are caught between nine and nine thirty. you know, and then, uh, that carried over um, into our topwater bite, too. We had a really strong topwater bite that was kind of a 9.30, 10 o'clock every day. I think just when the maybe the sunlight gets things cranking just a little bit, that mid-morning. That mid-morning out here is really, really pretty good for, for getting bites. So mid-morning and early evening is kind of our two, two better windows out here, it seems like. Yeah, I'd say that makes sense. Well, Phil, we really want to thank you for coming out and talking muskies with us. For people that are looking to get in touch with you again, how do they go about doing that? Uh, OutrightAngling.com. Uh, my number is 218-209-6285. You can call me or shoot me a text. And, and uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to get some more people out on Leech Lake here. That sounds like a fantastic fishery. Yeah, it's an amazing destination, and I, I feel like, you know, it has everything that uh, that you could possibly want. So, cool stuff. I hope people come and reach out to you, Phil, and I, I wish you a great season. I really appreciate your time today. It was fun chatting with you. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great season. Yeah, you too, Phil. Thanks again. Thanks to all of our listeners for coming out, and we hope everybody gets out in Minnesota and, and has a great start to their season in Minnesota, and we'll see everybody again next week. 